It's the More Sports Now podcast covering both sides of the Hudson. I'm Steve Titchener here with veteran sportscaster Matt Lachlan. And on the line, we have our own John McAlevey and our special guest, NBA agent and author Keith Glass. Keith, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. And the new book, Seven Foot Man Eating Chicken. Look, a lot of good stuff here, Keith. And look, I knew you as the local Jersey guy who was the NBA agent. But who knew you were John Wooden's driver for a summer and that you, <laughs> you coached at UCLA? So, so Yeah, I, I did. I kept that uh, on the wraps, I guess. You know, well, I, uh, it was a thrill. Well, you know, obviously, listen, talking to Coach Wooden every morning for, what, some five weeks or so. So give me that one big life lesson that you learned from Coach Wooden. Oh, I can't. There were so many, and he was so willing to talk. I think the interesting part of that was how I got the job was I was hired as a coach at $150 a week. And let me tell you guys, I needed the money. <laughs> I was living in a trailer in the San Fernando Valley. And um, I noticed that this one particular guy who was below me in terms of, of salary and stature at the camp was spending his whole day with coach Wooden. And I asked the director of the camp, who is this guy? Why does he get to be with, with coach Wooden all the time? And he said, well, he's, he's the commissioner. He makes $75 a week. And I said, well, is there, if there's any way I want that job for the rest mm -hmm. of the summer. And I got it that that kid was leaving. And so for the last uh, five or six weeks, I took uh, half my pay and got to drive coach Wooden back and forth to camp and, my job was basically just to, you know, be his uh, his guy. And uh, I tried to get that 75 a week from Coach Wooden later in later years, but it didn't work. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well, I tell you, as a young man to have Holy Pavilion as your office is, <laughs> I mean, with with the history that was going on around that time and and him being, you know, the, the Wizard of Westwood and all of that stuff, that must have really shaped you. I know in later life, You've been a coach yourself for many years. What what sort of things did you pick up from Coach Wooden that you yourself used on the sideline? Well, I tried to steal as much as I could from Coach Wooden, uh, basketball wise. But really, outside of my father, what what I got from him was off the court. He, he was just an extraordinary human being. Um, you know, if, if I would pick him up at five thirty every morning. He'd already walked five miles. Uh, he'd come bounding into my car. And there were nights, guys, where I was just getting in, if you know what I'm trying to say. And uh, he was <laughs> young guy in California. That, I'm shocked. Yeah, it was with a bunch of basketball people. It, we didn't get in that early. Mm -hmm. And if he knew that I was particularly exhausted, he'd be even more energetic, you know, just to make me feel worse. But if if we would go, for example, to the gym, and you know how the water fountains, the kids are spitting gum out in there and the whole thing. He would, without making a big deal, go into the men's room, get paper towels, pull out all the gum, shine up the, the water fountain, and then disappear without making a big deal. His thing was you had to leave a place a little cleaner than when you got there. I wish my sons had heard that a few times. But... um. He was an extraordinary guy. It just, uh, as a person, you know, as close to being a perfect guy as, as you could, 
you could ever want to be around. So it, it, I was just a sponge. And we argued, you know, I think he liked me because I, I wouldn't yes him to death. Uh, I mean, if you guys have read the book, you can see I'm not the easiest. You know, I'm a little opinionated and, <laughs> and I'm going to say what I think. Um, and so we had arguments about facial hair and, you know, tucking in your shirt and all that stuff. But it, it was an extraordinary time for me. Oh, it must have been. And and actually, you did have a, a classic mustache of the time. Uh, there's oh. a there's a photo on the dust cover on the, of, of the book uh, that shows you with coach and uh, big smile on your face. Keith Glass, our guest, uh, an NBA agent. He's been in the game for a long time. Uh, author of his second book, uh, Seven Foot Man Eating Chicken and NBA Odyssey. What made you decide that book number two was in you and why did you want to write it? It's interesting. I, I talked to my wife this morning about that, and um, I needed to share or to get out um, some uh, personal things that had happened to to me and to my uh, my family. Um, and so I really, I really just wrote it for myself. Uh, that's the only way to write a book uh, to me. And I remember specifically one night I. Uh, I had not, I'd lost both my parents within uh, 11 months and right before I, I, I started thinking about doing this. And I remember we have this really nice veranda that overlooks the ocean right off our bedroom. And I went upstairs at 10 o'clock and I said to my wife, you know what? I'm going to go write something outside, you know, just for me. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And two hours and 45 minutes later, I came in and I dealt with the passing of my parents at that time. I had not done, I hadn't dealt with it. And I said to her, when I came in, I went, well, Susie, that just saved us $5,000 in therapy. <laughs> um, and and that's, that's why you're right. And what happened was after, you know, that turned into five chapters on the Knicks, on Larry Brown, on my dad, my mom, whatever my UCLA days. And then, you know, you're a hundred pages in and I, I just kept going. You know, I, I had things to say about Lloyd Daniels, about Matt Maloney, about the national anthem, about, you know, every, everything. And so that was it. And I didn't even plan on it being published. Um, but one thing leads to another. And if you do it for the right reasons, it seems to, it seems to work. I've gotten a lot of, um, a lot of joy out of this book, even though it's a little more controversial than my first one, but I, I've really enjoyed this one. Why? Well, for those people that are out there looking for a book that, that deals with the great game of the NBA and behind the scenes stuff, you're going to get that. But what I didn't realize I was going to get was laugh out loud humor. I mean, I was laughing in, in the room here. I was down the shore with some, with my friends and family and they said, what are you laughing at? And I said, and yeah. you, know, you bring up your family, the the story about your father when he's going in for the for the bypass surgery and the whole thing for the yeah. fantasy football. That was laugh out loud. And the the story of uh, you know your father buying your mom a, a plot for her birthday and she didn't use it the year before. I mean, yep. that stuff is just terrific. But I it comes across the love for your family. We all have that. If we're right. you know to have great parents, tell us how your father got his start. Uh, in the agency, uh, sports agency business and how, you know, you looked up to that and you made that your career as well. Well, it's actually the, the other way. My dad was a, um, 
you know, when, you know, when you're in third grade or fourth grade, they ask, what does your, your parents do for a living? Yeah. I could never answer that. Um, I had no idea what he was doing. And um, he was certainly wasn't an agent. Uh, he worked down on Houston Street with my grandfather um, for years, you know, in, a, in a, a factory type of thing, a sales and a factory. He then went into real estate in terms of buying land and building discount stores uh, and then leasing out the departments. That's what I really remember. It wasn't until um, I really got to UCLA and then left, and we I started representing Mark Eaton, which is another story. Um, that, yeah, that we really uh, kicked into this. So, you know, Larry Brown had asked my dad, like, to – to handle Charlie Scott for him uh, because there were some issues with his contract, uh, but he was not really an agent until I left UCLA. And Mark, you know, Mark Eaton was one of my players at UCLA. I, I used to throw Mark Eaton 300 lob passes a day. I mean, I'm in my sixties and I'm still the best lob passer in the United States. <laughs> I guarantee you uh, from any direction. And so Mark, called me. I was in my law office at the time in LA and he said, coach, I need your help. Uh, I got drafted. I said, Mark, that's impossible. The army <laughs> has a six, six height limit. You, you know, Mark seven, five. He said, no dummy. I got drafted in the NBA. You got to realize when he played for UCLA, he played a total of 61 minutes in two years. He's played 47 seconds a game. And so to hear that he got drafted was shocking. They, they had seven rounds in those days. So Mark was drafted in, in, the, in the fourth round. And that became my first, quote, client. Uh, and then Mark actually wrote the forward to the book. He did. And, and, and a heartfelt forward it is at that. But that tell us a little bit about that story, because take us behind the curtain of negotiations, because Frank Layden is the man in charge in Utah. And right. he's you're walking in representing Mark Eaton, who's played so little at UCLA, but you can't buy height and he's got it. And you're trying to negotiate a deal. And from reading the book, you came out with a deal greater than you thought maybe you could get going in. Well, here's what happened. I was anticipating Frank. I'd heard of Frank. I'd never great met guy, him. by the way, right? Fantastic yeah. guy and hysterical. Yes, just a hysterical guy. He actually is the guy who, when he was, he was only carrying eleven players uh, when you were allowed twelve. And what he was doing that because he was saving money. You know, the Jazz had no money in those days, and so it was helping with hotels, with food, with travel. And with salary. So that's why he didn't carry 12. And he was trying to get away with it as long as he could, hoping nobody would notice. <laughs> and after like a month, one of the reporters said, you know, coach, the whole league has 12. Why do you have 11? And he said, well, even Jesus had trouble with 12. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that. I had read that. And I knew what I was dealing with. So I was ready for him. And so when I went in, uh, to meet with him, you have to realize Frank in those days might've been 330 pounds and, you know, at six feet tall, he was, a, you know, an imposing guy. And I asked for a guaranteed contract for Mark, which had never been done 
in the fourth round. Uh, and I was threatening to, to go to Israel or someplace. Anyway, he said, you got a lot of nerve, Keith. Um, I don't know who you are, but you coach this guy and you wouldn't play him. <laughs> and now you have the nerve to come in here and ask me for guarantee. <laughs> I said, yes, I am, Frank. I'll tell you why. We couldn't play him because every time we threw him the ball, he walked. And every time we changed ends, he fouled. But in the NBA, they let you walk and they let you foul. <laughs> He's perfect. <laughs> and I left, I left the Marriott Hotel with uh, three years guaranteed. <laughs> and everybody thought I knew what I was doing. You know, so it, but, but they were wrong. But I ended up attracting every big white center in the, in the country. And at one point had 81 feet of white centers. <laughs> uh, now, do you think, Keith, was it something that the college coaches missed with Mark Eaton? Because this is a guy who, as you chronicle in the book, his jersey's hanging in the Raptors in Utah. He's one of the all-time yeah. players. Was a was an all-star. He led the league in the block shots. Yeah, I know, I know. No, we missed it. I mean, they all missed. Yeah, Larry Brown missed it because it wasn't yeah. me. I was for the for the time I was with Mark at UCLA. I was pushing for Mark because what Larry was afraid of. And look, you know, even though we've. Uh, uh, had our, our differences now, uh, he, there's no disputing what a great coach Larry Brown is. None. You know, he's he's as good as anybody I've ever seen. But he felt that Mark was going to slow the game down because our guys were so fast and it made, you know, made Mark look even slower. My point right. was we didn't need Mark to get out on a wing and run. You know, uh, he distorted the game. And, yeah. you know, with, with blocking. And so with Larry, when we, we lost Mark's first year, we lost to Danny Ainge and BYU in the, in the NCAA tournament. They destroyed us. And Larry had the nerve to call me to the front of the bus after the game and say, you know what? We should have played the big fella. <laughs> I'm like, I was going to strangle him. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'd been, I'd been saying that every day, but yeah, I think, you know, look, People miss, you know, Tom Brady was passed five times each by each team. The Patriots get credit. They passed them five times and took them in the sixth round. So it always cracks me up. These guys are such geniuses that they miss much more than they hit in, in all sports. And yeah, they missed. So Keith, let's go yeah, back. Let's go back to your decision to become a lawyer. And first of all, the University of San Fernando Valley College of Law. So that was yes. pretty much the that they were taking you is pretty much how that yeah. worked out. Right. You have a sweatshirt. Or no? <laughs> I'll tell you, if you print up some T-shirts, I'll buy one. <laughs> they, they, they don't sell them. The, the, here's the thing. They, that was the only school that would even return my applications, like a response. I, I went to CW Post College of Long Island University out on the North shore. Right. Uh, loved it. Um, but I had, you know, I played basketball there and I just, I guess had a little too much fun. I was never a great student, uh, unless I was really interested. And so the only school that would take me was 3000 miles from home. And they were not even nationally accredited. They were in between, 
they were in between a uh, Earl Scheib auto painting plant and a an apartment house. Uh, they were wedged in in the middle there. They they not only were the only ones that took me. They, even there, I was entered on probation. Okay, <laughs> they they still didn't think I could do it, and uh, you know I viewed it as kind of my last chance. And um, you know, you 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 get out what you put in, guys. You know, I I I needed to do it, and somehow miraculously, miraculously passed the bar, and uh, and here we are. And you said that California's bar is is tougher than Jersey's, huh? Oh my God! Okay. Well, the the way they do it is. Um, they just grade it tougher. There's three days, um, at least when I was 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 doing it, three and a half days. The middle day is a national multiple choice kind of thing, so that's graded standardly. But the essays, they just grade differently, and they they don't pass as big a percentage. So uh, whereas when I came out, New Jersey's passage rate was 88 percent, California's was 36 percent. Wow. So that meant that 64% of law school graduates failed the bar, wow. uh, which is mind-boggling. And then you well, start even more mind-boggling that I ended up passing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start with just wills, trusts, and you mentioned divorce cases, which came handy for oh. you. Uh, and then, and then, with no intention of being an agent until uh, no. until that phone call from Marty Marky. Yeah, I had no intention. I wanted to represent the American Indians. I know they're Native Americans now. I can't keep up with, with all the name changes. Um, you know, somebody's got to do a pamphlet for me, you know, because I don't mean to offend anybody. But that's what I really wanted to do. Uh, I had felt and I still feel like, you know, we completely screwed Native Americans. And um, I would have still been doing that if somebody would given me a job. Oh, Keith Glass is our guest, uh, noted NBA agent, longtime NBA agent, uh, author of his second book, which we are discussing, but other things as well. The book is available. It is uh, Seven Foot Man Eating Chicken and NBA Odyssey. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Keith, uh, Matt Maloney, just an incredible story. And what it points out, I think, is most people, most sports fans can view the agent's side of thing. It's just being cutthroat, selfish, all that sort of stuff. You're just out for the best for your client, which I applaud 100%. But that is a story about relationships that go beyond just getting the best deal for your guy, which eventually you did. Tell us a little bit about that story, because it is phenomenal how this kid went from, hey, better than 98% of the people in the world as a basketball player. But when you get to the top of the pyramid, it's hard to break through that 2% is damn good. And he found himself on an international stage. Yeah. Well, Matt Maloney, uh, you know, to me is one of, uh, luckily for me, a few uh, examples of that. I mean, when, when you look at the NBA today, you're right. Like people will look at an agent and they think, uh, you know, Rock Nation or CAA or, uh, you know, Rich Paul now is on the cover of uh, of Sports Illustrated. They are doing a completely different profession than I'm in. I'm not in that world. I, I've never been in that where you recruit for 92 percent of your day, you know, trying to just build your your list. I, I really, truly have represented, you know, a couple of hundred players who I knew had a dream and. They were entrusting me to 
try to fulfill that dream. And that that's a heady uh, responsibility for me. Um, and so Matt Maloney is an example of that where we, you know, I had to work a couple of years for nothing, uh, but that's not unusual um, to get him where, where he belonged. And the way we got him there basically was that I knew that he had two NBA skills. One was shooting the ball and the other was dribbling it, but uh, he was a tremendous ball handler. And so I needed to get him to a team that drew double teams because you couldn't leave Matt Maloney. I mean, he was going to hurt you if you left him. And that's where my, the basketball background that I have uh, coupled with, you know, being a lawyer or an agent or whatever you want to call me um, came in really handy. So I put him in Houston for the summer league because they had a guy named Hakeem Olajuwon and then Charles Barkley and then Clyde Drexler. And if you're going to not double team one of those guys, <laughs> they're going to put kind of a big hurt on you. And when they, when they did double team off Matt, Matt ended up making himself a living. So, you know, it, it sounds easy, but it, but it wasn't because it, it was a plan, you know, to get him where he had to go. But it was also about a relationship uh, with Jim Maloney, his dad, great coach. You know, this didn't just pop out of thin air. I mean, this is no. a, this is about well, long, long time relationships, right? Yeah. What happened was, um, you know, I've represented Scott Skiles since 1986, believe it or not. Um, I can't get rid of him. And uh, <laughs> I had I had done this. Might it be the a, most competitive guy I've ever met in the NBA. I had the pleasure of covering the NBA for a few years with the Nets. Uh, he's what, he's like my little brother. Oof, what a competitive point. dude, though! Wow. What a what a I could t- I could fill your whole podcast with Scott Skyle stories. Trust uh, me. We'll have you back. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know the the thing is is that w- there was a a little girl that passed away here. I don't want to get into it because it's still uh, uh, emotional. But um, we stepped in, me and some friends, and to try to pay their medical bills. She had passed away at like four years of age. Um, we stepped in, they had like all these $27,000 or something in, in medicals. And so I started this charity uh, game down here where we, we had a, uh, the Jersey Shore Basketball League All-Stars against the Keith Glass All-Stars. Then we had a golf tournament. Then we had a dinner and an auction. And we ended up raising 53000 the first wow. week. And um, so I had to keep it going for six years. Uh, the relevance to Matt and Jim was that Matt apparently was in college at Penn and he idolized Scott. So Jim had called me, his dad, and said, look, could we get in? And the game was sold out. We want to come to the, for the weekend. And I said, I figured it out and, and we got him two tickets and he came. So for about Four years of that tournament, we did it for six years, they kept coming. When it was time for Matt to come out of school, they spoke to like every agent except for me. <laughs> I figured, <laughs> what in the world, what is going on here? You know, like I was really, I was really perplexed. You know, did I say something? Did I, did I do something? I didn't know what happened. And I wasn't going to go after them. They knew where I was. And so two days before the draft, Jim Maloney calls me on the phone. And as you said, he coached 21 years with John Chaney. He was a no-nonsense basketball lifer. 
he calls me and he goes, Keith, uh, you're busy tonight. I said, no, I don't think so. He said, good, I'm bringing Matt. We're going to meet you at exit eight on the turnpike. It's halfway from Philly. Uh, we want to talk to you. I said, all right, I'll go. I'll go. So I drive. Yeah. I meet him at this truck stop. We sit down in a booth. Jim goes, what do you think of my kid as a player? I'll show you what a great recruiter I am, guys. I said, I think Matt's really, I think Matt's really good. He's not the best player I ever saw. Uh, I don't think he gets drafted tomorrow or whenever. Uh, I don't think he makes the league right away. But, you know, if he'd work as hard as I would, he's got a chance. He says, you got an effing contract? I said, yeah, I always have a contract, Jim. He says, turns to Matt. He says, sign the, sign the goddamn contract. One more <laughs> agent tells you how great you are. I'm going to punch him right in the mouth. <laughs> so I end up signing Matt exactly what I thought happened. He didn't make it, didn't get drafted. The next year, we put him in the summer league with the Rockets. And uh, a month and a half later, it's Olajuwon, Trexler, Barkley, and Maloney. <laughs> so I'm starting for the Rockets. And so we end up, you know, a year later signing for $18 million guaranteed. Amazing. And my kids get to go to college. Yeah. Amazing. Just a great story. That's an unbelievable story. Unbelievable. <laughs> and you mentioned. Keith, you mentioned the, the Keith Glass All-Star Games that were down there in uh, in Belmar, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I was one of the uh, souls that was crammed into that tiny gym where it was. Oh, God. It was like St. Rose. St. Rose. Yeah. There we go. Right. Classic place. St. Rose. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was there because my college roommate was one of those sort of, not lost souls, but one of those guys that was not going to be a first-round draft pick and a Kansas right. NBA guy, but somebody that had a really good four-year career in the Big East, was not your greatest athlete, and and uh, his name, of course, was Marty Conlon. First of all, yep. how did you get in touch with Marty, or how did Marty get in touch with you? And then tell us a little bit about your relationship, getting him involved, not only in the NBA, where he had some really good moments, and then uh, a nice career overseas as well. Well, Marty's father, out of the blue, called me. Marty was with Sacramento at the time. So he had already made the league. And I don't even know exactly why he called, but I had three players or two players, I'm sorry, on Sacramento at the time. I had Olden Polonies and Mike Poplowski. And so I was very in touch with Jeff Petrie, who was the GM at the time. So I knew how they felt because I was trying to keep Mike Poplowski on the roster. Uh, and so I knew they really liked Marty without asking that I just could tell. And when his dad said they want Marty to go on the injured list and Marty doesn't want to go. Marty's got an agent from Europe who really doesn't know his way around the NBA. Uh, what would you do? I said, well, I would not go on the injured list because I just I don't think it, it helps Marty. Marty needs to play. And his dad went, yeah, but what if they, they're threatening to cut him? Mm. I said, they're not cutting him. Uh, <laughs> he said, really? I said, I know they're not cutting him. They love him. Yeah. He says, yeah, well, what if they do? I mean, it's not your kid, Keith. I said, well, if, if I'm wrong, you're never going to call me again, are you? Okay, and you'll probably put a hit out on me. They're not <laughs> cutting him. They're not cutting your son. Don't yeah. do it. So they didn't 
and they didn't cut him. Next thing you know, I'm representing Marty Conlon. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, uh, you know, here in the States. And yeah, Marty, look, Marty's lucky he's living. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. You're right. I went to, um, we went to Italy. He was playing for Bologna. And I went to visit him and we had a, a legal problem with, with Bologna. They weren't paying on time. And we set up a meeting with a lawyer in Florence. Okay. And we have to take the train from Milan to Florence. It's an hour, maybe an hour and 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And me and Marty are on the train and Marty had been there several times. And I look up and, you know, in Italian, Florence is Firenze. Uh, And I look up and it says Firenze Nord, which means North. Um, And I go, Marty, this is our stop. Let's go. He went, no, no, no. There's another exit uh, down that down like five minutes. I said, all right. And I trusted him. There's no other stop. Uh, we just keep going. And we, I go to the conductor. The next stop is Rome three hours away. And, and, and then we had to stop in Rome and come three hours back to Florence. So I got six hours of a five day trip wasted <laughs> with Marty. Conlon. I didn't speak to him. Oh, my God. So he's lucky he's living, Marty Conlon. Believe me. You can ask him, all right? If I spoke to him for those six hours, I wouldn't look at him. (laughs) Six hours of silence on the train. But he is a great, a Marty's a tremendous guy and was so much better as a player than people thought. People looked at Marty and they didn't think he could play, but he had the whole game figured out. Um he really did. I mean, he was, he was a terrific player. He had every angle, you know, around the basket. He knew how to defend. He could pass it. I love Marty Conlon. Yeah. Imagine if he had any lift and his legs and he could run a little bit better. I mean, he, he was one of those sort of stretch fours that was, he he wasn't going to make his, his money down around the basket because he really couldn't get off the floor that he was a guy that could bring a big out and who didn't think he could shoot the ball. And he put one in your face and then maybe he would put it on the floor and he had those great posts yeah. that he was on forever. He was a terrific player. I mean, he really yeah. was, but look at it the other way. If he did have those other skills, he probably wouldn't have worked on his game the way he did. Um, so, you know, he, he was pretty successful, Marty. And, um, played a number of years in the NBA and in Europe. And uh, I think it's another success story. I've been lucky guys. I, the more we talk, the, the more I realize how lucky I've been. And Keith, I'd like to add that I, I grew up at Bar A in Belmar. I bartended there for over 20 years. So I served a couple of your clients and Scott Skiles came in all the time. A terrific guy because they obviously yeah. they played at St. Rose and they came down the street. So uh, I, I met a lot of those guys. Uh, let's go to the, you know, today's NBA. And, you know, you're a Brooklyn guy who's now in Jersey, obviously, early on. You were a Knicks fan. Um, what did you make of uh, Kevin Durant uh, spurning the Knicks and going to Brooklyn? And, and why can't the Knicks get a star? What's, what's going on there? I don't know why. Uh, you know, it, 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 I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I've had my own situations with the Knicks. Thankfully, you know, they're, they're corrected now. But, um, you know, let, let me tell you about Durant. Uh, who is to me one of the best 25 players that had ever played. But sometimes you can win for losing. Okay. 
the Knicks, quote, lost out on Durant. Let's examine Durant's deal. And you guys tell me if he'd make this deal. He signs for $164 million, okay? Three of those years are guaranteed. The fourth is his option. So he can leave after the third year. And he has shown a proclivity for doing that, okay? Mm -hmm. He's not playing next year. He's got a torn Achilles. So that means that he's really going to play for the Nets for two years. And in those two years, he will make the equivalent of $120 million if you back out the option. Okay? That's $60 million a year to play. Are you following along mm-hmm. with me? Because he's not playing next year. So would I have made that deal? No, I would not. Uh, I, I would not have signed him uh, because I'm not paying anybody. Uh, basically 60 million to play for each year that he's actually going to help my team. Now he may help and he probably has with their, you know, the mojo, the ticket sales, you know, all of this stuff, merchandise, which drives the NBA. Don't, don't get me, you know, you know what a seven foot man eating chicken is? It's, it's something that's a distortion. It's something that's not realistic. And merchandise and tickets and parking and foam fingers and, uh, you know, $14 hot dogs are all seven-foot men-eating chicken. Okay? It's not what you're advertising. It's not basketball. It's not the game. And so, you know, I I got the title. I stole the title. I steal a lot, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I stole the title from P.T. Barnum, who advertised a six-foot man-eating chicken in the 1850s at the American Museum. And he was a card artist, P.T. Barnum. Okay, he wasn't, you know, he was a showman. People knew that they were going to be snookered, right? They they wanted to be. And when you got in expecting a six-foot chicken that was a man-eater, this, this is insane. <laughs> 25 cents, they would, you got in after the, the line was around the building, around the block. There was a six-foot-tall man sitting in a chair eating chicken. <laughs> when you now go to Brooklyn, and I, I like the guys in Brooklyn, don't get me wrong, um, you're not getting a basketball championship team. You're getting the promise of it maybe a year from now, and you're going to buy foam fingers, and you're going to pay to park, and all those other, and you're going to buy sweatshirts. That's not, that's not the game, is it? Right. Okay. So you're advertising one thing and you're getting another. I don't think the Knicks did that badly. Um, I wouldn't have signed 18 fours, you know, 18 power forwards. That might not be what I would have done, but you know, they, they kind of overreacted to not getting Kevin, but I, I don't know that I would have done it. How, what's your relationship with James Dolan? What do you know of him? I mean, he gets a bad rap in many cases, but what's your take as an agent with, with, uh, with Dolan? Uh, I don't deal with Dolan. I, you know, I deal with Scott Perry and, uh, you know, with other guys down there. Um, you know, look, everybody, everybody has their own opinion on, on James Dolan. Most of it is not very positive, but I'm going to tell you, 
I had a kid named Tyler Cavanaugh on their summer team. And um, if they had offered us $2 million, we would have signed it in two seconds. <laughs> because when I don't represent stars. Mm-hmm. To me, for uh, none of my clients, and I've had over 110 in the NBA alone, I've never had a client say to me, I don't want to sign for, I don't want to play for the Knicks. I don't want to play in the garden uh, because of the owner. I've never had that personally. Now, if I had Kawhi Leonard, if I had KD, if I had Anthony Davis, they can be a little more discerning, you know, than my guys, than Mike Poplowski. Um, You know what I mean? That they have, they have more opportunity. So again, it's that totally different profession type of thing. What do you think about the way the game has evolved in terms of, you mentioned the big agencies now, which are as much a part of the game. And look, agents have been a part of the game for a long time, but now it's, let's get three guys together, maybe two in one place. It's all about synergy. It may not be about championships, as you alluded with what's happening in Brooklyn. Is Are, are, are what we seeing good for the game? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I don't particularly like the game. Um, you know, I, I find it to be, uh, you know, like a lot of isolation stuff. There's very few teams that are actual teams. Um, you know, like all this whole thing about the big three, uh, you know, who's your go-to guy, you know, come on, what is this? That's a shortcut for, I I don't have to coach. I don't have to teach. You know, I got a go-to guy. If I'm coaching against you and I know you got one guy or two guys or three guys, I'm going to be able to guard that a little differently than if you're actually running an offense, you know, and, and I don't know where you're coming from, but that's hard to do. And if, if your stars, are not going to buy into that. That that's why the Spurs were so different was that their stars bought into the fact that it wasn't just them, that it was a team. Um, and, and I'm a dinosaur. I understand that I've got scales. I got all that stuff going on. You know, I know who I am. I'm, I'm old school. I think that basketball is just a beautiful game played properly. I really do. But, not trying to ruffle any feathers, but I can't watch James Harden play for more than a minute and a half. I agree. I can't do it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I physically can't do it. Um, and I leave and I go do something else. I go watch a, a fly go up a drape. <laughs> a little more playing alongside him. I mean, his other players, it's just like the James Harden show where he takes a couple of dribbles and step back and, putting up 40 shots a game. I mean, it's amazing. What do you think to bring this sort of full circle? What do you think that uh, John Wooden would think of uh, (laughs) I mean, they didn't even have the three point shot back then, but now the game is so predicated around that three point line. I mean, would he be, uh, would he be employing any of these things or would he still be doing it his old way? Believe it, believe it or not. I think he would adapt. uh, Cause I, I had a conversation with him once that, um, that one of his teams, I think it was the Walton team or, or one of Sidney Wicks's teams, uh, they won the championship, but their guards were taking really bad shots. And I asked him about it, just not to confront him about it, but, you know, I was learning how to coach and I wanted to coach well. And I said, coach, you know, you, 
you got, you're so disciplined with the, the UCLA high post offense and every cut is measured and footwork and all of this. You guys in those couple of years took some really bad shots. He said, sure. you're right. He said, go back though, Keith, and look at the tape and see how many rebounds we get. He said, we got every rebound. Yeah. So those bad shots to coach were the first pass to their layups. So he was a little smarter than me, uh, still is. And so he realized I've got the greatest offensive rebounding team in the country. I need possessions. I need the the ball to go up. I don't care. You know, some of them will miss, but I'm going to get every rebound. So, you know, it was a fascinating uh, lesson for me. So, Keith, we're in New York, New Jersey site. You made your way back to Jersey long ago. Where are you residing and how's Jersey life? And believe it or not, uh, coming from Long Island, you know, from I'm born in Brooklyn, but raised really in Long Island, just outside of Kennedy Airport. The thought of moving to New Jersey was, uh, you know, tantamount to, to going to hell. Uh, <laughs> As you know, Jerseyans feel the same about the reverse, but of course. But I've been here over 30 years, and what I discovered took me 20 to figure out New Jersey is not just what you see flying into Newark, um, you know, with the stacks uh, spewing out pollution. Uh, I'm living in a place called Highlands. I, I'm over the right over the ocean at my back porch. At my front porch, I can see the Freedom Tower. Uh, so... Oh. I'm I'm liking it a lot, guys. And, uh, you know, I coached down here at Modern Day High School for 12 years, and you know, I was the token Jew there for a while. Uh, and I've enjoyed it. You know, I, I've uh, you know, I moved back here like I said 30 years ago. I couldn't afford to live in New York. I didn't have any money, uh, and so I, you know, I just kept coming further and further south till I ended up in Middletown, New Jersey, and. Moved to Rumson. Now I'm in the Highlands, and and I really, I really like it. Hey, it's all good, and there's so much more we could have talked about. Uh, Lloyd Daniels plays a prominent yeah. role in the book. Sun Yu. It's an incredible story of mystery. Uh, that's in the book. There's so much else that we could, could even talk about. Uncle Benny. There's a couple good stories. Oh, there oh, that's Benny. another book, by the way. <laughs> that's a definite book. Uh, but yeah, folks, you'll have to read Benny. this one to right. know a little bit more. Where, where can you get the book? Where can people get the book? Uh, you can go Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com. I guess you know. Honestly, guys, I wrote it for myself. Um, I'm not hawking it too much. And I, it's almost like, I know this is going to sound terrible. I feel bad if you're a basketball guy, or even if you're not, and you haven't read it, because I think it is fun. It, it's it is a very fun read. It's, and the book, it's enjoyable. The book is called Seven Foot Man Eating Chicken by Keith Glass. Keith, it's been a thrill having you on the uh, show. We'd love to have guys, you back. I appreciate it. New book Anytime, or not. guys, let me know. Absolutely. Take care, right, Keith. I appreciate it very much. Right Thanks, Take Keith. Care. All right, Keith, thank All right. you. Bye-bye now. And we should also thank at this point Sammy Steinlight of Steinlight Absolutely. Media, who helped uh, arrange for So Keith I guess Sammy's Keith's agent. So, so agents have agents, <laughs> I guess. Everybody's uh, repped. Everybody's right. repped. All right. So uh, thrilled to have Keith on the show. And uh, check out our site, moresportsnow.com. We've got a blog on the site. We do our regular podcast as well. Uh, we got RU's coming up. We got a big season of football and uh, basketball. The RU review will, of course, be back 
And uh, also we have a daily brief. So check that out. We got uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And uh, that'll do it for this week for Steve Titchener, Matt Lachlan, John McAlevey. We'll catch you next week with plenty more sports talk. Bye bye.